The Posting Up Podcast is brought to you by T. Rowe Price. Are you looking to learn a thing or two about getting your finances in order, saving, and investing? Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post Brand Studio. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post. Coming to you today with what I think will be a really interesting podcast with my friend Rod Beard, who does a great job covering the Detroit Pistons for the Detroit News. Uh, The Pistons have obviously been a big story this week after acquiring Blake Griffin in a blockbuster trade Monday afternoon. Uh, The Pistons had been known to be asking around about a lot of stuff, but I don't think anybody really saw this one coming uh, up until it happened. So with that, let's, uh, let's get right to my conversation with Rod Beard. All right, Rod. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Uh, it's been a long day uh, after the uh, the big opening victory for the Blake Griffin Pistons, uh, close win over the Grizzlies at home in Detroit. So, I guess just uh, to begin with, what were your kind of your top line thoughts on Blake's debut, and and kind of what your initial thoughts were on the way this team might look going forward? Yeah, it's still a work in progress. I think it was. Uh just different because the the Pistons haven't had a post-up guy who gets to the free throw line as much as he does. He was 11 of 13 from the line today. And I mean, with Tobias Harris and Avery Bradley, you might get five or six free throws, but Blake had that in the first quarter. Uh, So that it does a lot of residual benefit for them to be able to uh, get some free points. And as Stan Van Gundy said in the post game to set up their defense. And that's one of the, the unknown things that people don't talk about as much as if you're at the free throw line, you're making free throws, you can get back and have defense and you don't have to rush in transition. So it's it's all going to take a little bit of time to figure out. You can see where in some cases they were in the wrong spots and the spacing was a little bit off. But Blake is going to bring an element that these Pistons haven't had in years and years and years in that uh, it's a star guy who's going to get star calls uh, and they've got to adjust to that. Yeah, I mean, I think just in looking at the trade in general, like that that to me is the thing that stands out the most, right? Is that this, this Pistons team really since... Uh, you know, you could even go back maybe to Grant Hill, um, because even yeah. even when they won the title, like the defining trait of that title team was that they had a bunch of really good players. They didn't have a star, right? So, like, you could argue that really it's been almost twenty years since they've had a guy like Blake on the team. That that is a guy that's looked at around the league as like here's a consensus top, you know, ten or twenty player in the league that everybody you know recognizes as one of the you know the most recognizable faces around. Yeah, and even for the beat writers, we kind of looked at each other and said, hey, that's a star call. We haven't seen a star call <laughs> around here going in the Pistons' favor in quite a while. And and I think it's it's part of that, too, is that it, it establishes a very clear uh, priority list that Blake's the guy you're going to run your offense through. And, and the Pistons had changed this year. It had become Andre Drummond uh, to a degree where he was in more of a point center role and doing some different things out on the perimeter in distributing and facilitating for other guys. Now he can go back to more of a post role. There can be some more high low that you run with Drummond and Blake Griffin. Stan, Sam and Gundy said that's part of the thing that he's going to have to do over these next few days is to figure out exactly how much stuff there is 
And he would love to install it in, in one 10 hour session and figure out, hey, let's get everything installed and, and, and let's hit go. But he's going to have to do it gradually, especially given their schedule that uh, for the next week or so, they've got game practice, game practice. And all of this that they did tonight was really off of an hour and 15 minute shoot around. They didn't really have a lot of time uh, to be on the court and to figure out how all of this stuff was going to work. So I think over the next week or two, we're going to see a lot more that gets installed and they'll figure it out a little bit more, more readily after they've had some time to work together. Well, you could see that at the end of the game, right, Rod? Because there, there were, there were a bunch of instances where, you know, Blake, they kind of had Blake out there with that group at the end of the game and they couldn't really run anything. I think in large part because they didn't really have a lot that they could actually run, you know, just from not yeah. being around. Yeah, I think he said they had maybe four or five plays that they figured out, hey, this is stuff that we're going to run, and and let's just do this for now, and then maybe the next game they'll have another four or five plays that they can run. Uh, but because of Blake's versatility, it gives them the, the option to do so many different things. He's not a traditional big that you just got to dump it down in the post. He can be effective out on the perimeter. He can do stuff uh, down in the post himself. I mean, that's the ISO plays that he was running was, again, stuff that we just have not seen around here besides the ones they did for Drummond uh, over the last year and then previous years when he was a more traditional center. Yeah, and let, let's we'll get back to the, the game itself in a minute. But let, let's go back to Monday. I mean, uh, I'm sure – I mean, I've, I've heard the Pistons have been looking around for stuff for a while. I'm sure you had too. I mean, obviously, when you lose 12 out of 15, which was the case they – that which is the situation they were in going into when they made the trade Monday afternoon, it's not like that's a situation where everybody looks at it and goes, hey, you know, this is a, this is a good place to be. Um, but – what level of surprise did you have, you know, A, that they made, the Pistons made a move Monday, and then B, that it was for uh, a guy of the caliber and, and star power of Blake Griffin when it happened? Well, the, there wasn't a surprise that they made a move. I, I had been saying for probably a week, at least a week and a half, that um, they needed to do something. The, the mix just wasn't there. Avery Bradley was just a little stagnated. Tobias Harris was their leading scorer, but not a guy that you're going to certainly build around and he's going to take you to a next level. He had maybe plateaued at his 18 points in this system for what he was going to be able to do for them. They needed somebody to kind of ratchet everything up and to really lift them. And and the, the fact that they went and got Blake Griffin was the biggest surprise because what most people would say is, Hey, Kimball Walker's name was out there. They had targeted some other guys that maybe they wanted to go after. I thought it would be maybe a, a, a perimeter guy that they were trying to go and get. But the fact that it was Blake Griffin was, hey, they're really serious about this. If they give up their two leading scorers, their best perimeter defender in uh, Avery Bradley and a, a first-round draft pick, they're really going after this. And, and the fit is kind of questionable, but um, and the financial commitment and the injuries – but for what it says for owner Tom Gorris is that they really are serious about trying to contend and they'll figure out the rest of it later. But now they're in the, the reach of a playoff spot. They're going to do everything they can right now to try to get there. Well, and let's get to that, right? So everybody, there's there's obviously been a lot of talk nationally about the Clippers trading Blake and why they traded Blake and um, you know what what it could mean for them down the road, right? Largely that they're, they're probably trying to target going after a bunch of free agents in 2019. But... You know, for people that haven't necessarily paid attention to the Detroit side of it, or, or you know, aren't you know clued in on it, what what is the rationale from the Pistons side for making such a big swing for the fences to go get a guy like Blake Griffin in a deal that you know obviously has some risk on it on their end? Well, I think it's Andre Drummond was their biggest star, but he's not on the same level with a 
uh, Blake Griffin. I mean, they're probably top 10, top 15 guys that are going to get, like I said, superstar calls and that you can count on every time down the court. If you're in a last second situation and you need, uh, you're down one or you're tied and you need a basket to go, the Pistons probably preferred option was Reggie Jackson. He's a very good fourth quarter player, but you want somebody who's really going to scare the defense, that's really going to make them adjust and double. And and Blake Griffin kind of brings that because of his versatility, his ability to score, his ability to distribute. Um, and so I think that was what was probably the most shocking, that they went and got somebody that can do that. So it, it just signaled to me that they're really serious about trying to go after this. The construction of their roster isn't great right now because they still need probably another piece to really be serious contenders in this. But when you have an opportunity to get a top 15, top 20 guy, as they've been trying to do, they were in on Al Horford a couple of summers ago. Uh, they've been trying to get a guy like Kimball Walker. When you get an opportunity to do it, it, you worry about the fit later. You go out and get it, no matter what the financial commitment is and the injury concerns, which are huge. But you, you get it, and then you just take the risk because you got to do something. You couldn't just hurdle toward uh, – back to the lottery again after the disappointing season they had last year. Did, do you think that this trade happens if Reggie Jackson ever gets hurt? Um, yeah, I think it still does because I, I think they, they coveted a top-tier player. And, and we talked to Pistons owner Tom Gorse yesterday, and he said, if you look at the elite teams, the teams that are really contending and are, that are in that conversation, they've got multiple guys like Blake Griffin, and they didn't have one. So they're just trying to get and stay in that arms race of, of trying to get uh, relevant players that can lift them toward that next level. The East really isn't great shakes right now. Once you get past Cleveland and Toronto and um, and Boston, once you get past that, there isn't a lot that's there. So although the Pistons were a couple of games out of the eight spot, they were probably only another two or three games out of the four or five spot. So this is an opportunity that they took the risk and said, we'll swing for the fences on this. It's not that we're going to make a trade and and – this is the guy that, that may win us an extra couple of games. Blake Griffin can help them win a whole lot of games and really elevate them maybe into that four spot and hosting a home series, which would be absolutely huge for this franchise and the improvement that they're looking to make. Well, and the reason why I ask is I'm sure, and I'm sure you understand where I'm coming from when I ask it, is that you know it, it, the, implied, the implied logic there is that if the Pistons are rolling along at the same clip they were when they were 19 and 14 when Reggie got hurt, they're probably five or six games over 500. They're somewhere around the four seed now. And there's maybe not, from the outside at least, any pressure on Stan Van Gundy to make a move in the the, the event that they might have some questions about his job security in Detroit. So, oh, absolutely, so Absolutely. But I think the, the Avery Bradley piece and that expiring contract right. was what really scared them into it is – that's an uncertainty, and if you can't get any value out of that, if you you're aren't if you aren't a hundred percent sure that he's going to sign uh, an unrestricted contract to come back to you, then you've got to get some value out of that. Whether you're in the four seed or the eight seed or out of the playoffs or whatever the case, and that's what I think really spooked them into saying, "Hey, let's look at, at what our options are out here, and if we've got to give up Tobias Harris and a, a draft pick to make this happen, then that's what it's going to be." But even if uh, with a healthy Reggie Jackson. They said if you if you dangle a, a top-tier superstar out there, they're going to have to listen and see if they've got the pieces to put together to make that deal go. Yeah, and and, and like you said, I mean, I think the, the play of, Red, of Avery Bradley, I think, this season is an underlying thing here, right? Because, I mean, when the Pistons got Red, uh, Avery last summer um, from the Boston Celtics, uh, when they let Contavious Caldwell-Pope go, they were really excited that they had him. They thought that they needed a guy like him on their team. They then would have, you know, they'd start Stanley Johnson at the three, then they'd have, you know, 
Reggie and Avery in the backcourt. Avery helped their defense, and he'd space the floor. Um, and they, they were really pumped about bringing him in. They wanted to keep him long-term, and he just has not been good uh, all season. It's kind of been a, a, a not-really-discussed thing as the season's gone along because Avery has a, a really good reputation, understandably so, after his time in Boston. But he really hadn't played to that level with the Pistons. And like you said, I, I think the way they looked at this was, we like Tobias. And we'd consider having him around long term, but he's a nice player, not a difference making player. And we don't want to pay Avery Bradley. Um, so really, it's just we're going to give up a first round pick for Blake Griffin. And if you told the Pistons in July, last July, hey, if you trade a first round pick, you can sign Blake Griffin to a five year contract. I'm pretty sure that Stan and the front office there would have said, yeah, we'll do that and we'll figure the rest of it out later. Yeah, and, and I think the intriguing thing, and, and uh, this is something that, I, that it clicked to me the other day, that if you go back to when Stan took this roster, the only player he's got left from that original group is Andre Drummond. But he made a couple of shrewd trades, and as much as people want to criticize his drafting and his free agent signings, he's won just about every single trade. A 2020 second-round pick to get Reggie Bullock and uh, Marcus Morris. He turns Marcus Morris and then uh, expiring contracts uh, to get – uh, Tobias Harris. He turns that into Blake Griffin with a couple other pieces in between there. He, he essentially kept Andre Drummond. And if you told him three years ago, hey, you're, you're going to get Blake Griffin in three more years, everybody would have said, well, he's going to have to give up Drummond to make that happen yep. somehow, some kind of way. But he's created Blake Griffin out of absolutely nothing but true deals and really bartering his way up to here's here's a piece. Let me get another piece to go with it. Now let me barter up a little bit more and get something else. That's probably something that doesn't get talked about. But they they almost literally, as you said, it's just a first round pick and a couple other pieces that led them to get Blake Griffin. And sure, they've got the financial commitment down the road, but you were going to have that anyway. If you said you could assign Blake Griffin in the offseason, they probably would have done it, too. So it, it that's part of this that just doesn't get talked about very much. And, and sure, you, you've got to staple that to what his record is with free agents and with drafting and passing on Donovan Mitchell, passing on Devin Booker to get Stanley Johnson. Certainly all those things go together, but you can't just ignore the plus column and what he's done in terms of trades. Oh, yeah, I agree completely. And I, I think the Pistons haven't gotten enough credit for, for all those trades over the years. I mean, look, you know, part of the part of the issue here that people, I, I think that Stan, that Stan hasn't gotten enough credit for is that just in general, and he said it a few times this week, um, and I know, I'm sure he said it to you guys, knowing Stan a million times over the last couple of years. But, <laughs> um, but look, when they when he took that job, it wasn't like Tom Gore said, "I'm cool with you tearing this down and rebuilding from the ground up." Right? I mean, he made it pretty clear that I don't want to bottom out and tank. So, if you're Stan Vigundi and you take over a team where you never had a pick higher than eighth um, at any point, um, yeah, look, they they could have dra- they thought about drafting Devin Booker, they thought about drafting Donovan Mitchell, they didn't draft either guy, right? Um, obviously, if you have those two guys on the team right now, you look a lot different. But at the same time, you know you can't rely on drafting tenth and or eighth or twelfth and picking guys that are going to become you know potential stars in the league. Um, that usually happens when you have top five picks, and they have had none. So you know if you're going to do it, if you're going to rebuild that way, you have to rebuild the way they have, which is. You know, we're not going to sign guys to free agency. We're probably not going to have a high draft pick. We've got to be shrewd with trades and we've got to, you know, hit where we can. And yeah, it would have been nice for them, obviously, to have one or two of those picks hit. But I think to your point, if you look at the the way they've they've traded over the last couple of years, it's hard to say that they haven't won, you know, if not every one of those trades, the vast majority of them. 
And like you said, that put them in a position where they could even trade for Blake Griffin at this point, which, you know, like you said, if they, if you told them three years ago, they could trade for Blake Griffin and not give up Andre Drummond, um, they would have said, yeah, we'll wait and do that in a millisecond and not even worry about the consequences at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just, it's snow today and it, it's no just about everywhere in the East Coast, but this isn't a free agent destination by any stretch of the imagination that uh, you can't get people to come in here, even with a shiny new arena, and say, hey, I'm coming here and I'm committing because I believe in what you guys are doing. Winning is going to breed some of that, and Blake Griffin can turn this franchise around in terms of the winning and have higher expectations and give them a product on the floor that, that fans are going to come and see and that people can start to believe in, and that trickles down to players eventually. Yeah, you can overpay in free agency, but teams want to go to where other teams are winning and, and they have players that complement them very well. It, it's not quite there yet, but Blake Griffin is a piece that makes that a little bit easier. Andre Drummond helps with that. Reggie Jackson, when he's healthy and, and playing well, is another piece to that. I think they're going to start turning things around here, but it's just going to take some more time. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think you're right. I mean, it's it's it, they weren't going to be able to fix that overnight. And, you know, at this point, you've got to, if you're them, just they've got to try to make one more move, right? I mean, the Reggie, the Reggie piece is probably the one they need to upgrade at some point uh, to real, to like you said, to really get to the place where they want to be, um, you know, but if they can keep going along with on, if they can make Andre and Blake work and they can eventually move on from Reggie and, and upgrade at that spot um, or just get him back healthy playing like he was a couple of years ago, one or the other, but probably make an upgrade at some point, you know, then you might be talking about a team that can really be the competitive team uh, at the top of the East um, that, that, that they want to be. Um, but you mentioned, though, a- along the lines of, of the, the injury questions and, and the risks that come with this, um, you know, was this just a situation where the Pistons had, uh, there was too much upside to take on Blake to worry about any of the potential downside with the, the both the combination of him being owed $141 million on the rest of his deal and the fact that he is a guy that has been through a bunch of injuries over the past few years? Yeah, I think they just looked at the upside and said, hey, he's an all-star caliber guy, and uh, we, we don't have one. We need one. And and frankly, if he didn't have those injury concerns, he wouldn't even be on the market. You wouldn't right. be able to get him. It's like trying to trade for Anthony Davis. You you just don't have a package that teams are going to want for a superstar unless there's some risk that's involved there. And certainly it's in uh, – with with Blake Griffin, there is the injury concern. There is the financial concern of that bloated contract. But – Teams are willing to take that on if you can add a guy like that. And and the Pistons have been in a purgatory-type situation where coming off that eight-game losing streak, they just beat the Cavs the other day. But it, it was kind of – they're stuck in the middle. It, it was very plausible that Stan Van Gundy was in hot water and on the hot seat if that losing streak had continued and if they hadn't done something. This seems to be that lifeline and that, that backing from owner Tom Gorris that not only are we going to give you this year, we're going to give you the fifth year in your contract stand to try to figure out how all of this is going to work. Maybe you didn't have the right pieces. So this is that last chance to kind of pull that together. If you enjoy this podcast and are interested in learning more about the NBA, you can get my weekly NBA newsletter, the Monday morning post up, delivered right to your inbox every Monday morning at 8 a.m. To do so, please go to wapo.st slash newsletter to subscribe. You'll get an original column from me, links to my work from the past week, links to work from both my colleagues at the Washington Post and other writers from around the web about the league, a viewing guide for the week ahead, and some dining and pop culture recommendations. 
Again, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, please go to wapo.st slash post-up newsletter and start your week off right with everything you need to know about the NBA. And and is that is that kind of where you're at? Like do you like do you think that do you, do you, like if this doesn't work next year, do you think like that's the end of stand in Detroit? Like what what is kind of that was going to be one of my next questions. Like what is what is kind of your read on the state of that whole dynamic with with Stan obviously being one of the few guys left in the league now who has total control over what's going on there? Yeah, and, and I think that's been the issue is that um, this is his mess, if you will, that that he created. This is the team that. Uh, that he put together, he, he got all of the groceries to make this meal. And if the meal doesn't turn out very well, it's going to reflect badly on Stan. But I, I think they decided, hey, we're going to start getting you some organic, some, some premium type <laughs> ingredients with, uh, with Blake Griffin to try to make this all work. And, and I think that is a vote of confidence to say, hey, you, in order to compete with the top teams, you do need a superstar. Maybe this was flawed. Maybe we didn't give you that opportunity. And maybe a superstar just wasn't available. Now you have one. Here's everything that you need. I think that's that's what this is really saying is that we're going to give you all the financial backing and all the votes of confidence that you need. But this is if you can't do it after this, now that fifth year um, is is might be your last year or we might decide to re up because maybe in the middle of next year, they, they start, start to grade it and say, hey, we, we like what you've done so far. We're, we feel like this thing is turning around and we're really going to be one of the teams to contend with in the East. But I, I think Stan was the, the water was starting to get a little lukewarm when they were in the midst of that eight game losing streak. And now it's starting to cool down. And maybe uh, when you get into next year, maybe he has an extension or maybe he has a little bit more security or that vote of confidence that says there's there's nothing to worry about. We're still going to continue adding. Right now. Now, what is your what is your take on um, j- just kind of the, the overall setup of the franchise at the moment? Like, you know, you turn on the game tonight. I'm wa- I was watching the game at home and. You know, the, the the seats, there's just a million empty seats in that arena. And that's been a running theme all year with them. They move into this beautiful new arena. I was down there at the opening night with you guys. Uh, I can't remember who they played off the top of my head right now, but it might have been Charlotte. Charlotte. That's right. Yeah. Um, but it was a, a beautiful arena, super nice. Uh, it's right downtown. It's kind of exactly what the Pistons have needed for a while, yet the fans still are not showing up. They've been a very bland uh team it's not a, a knock on the guys they have there but like you said there hasn't been that kind of eye-popping star around the franchise really in two decades probably um you know is is, is there any part of this that i, I don't want to say is a, a financial financially motivated move but that uh like we need to have even beyond the on-court stuff like we need to have somebody that's giving fans reasons to show up and watch these games at this point yeah, I think there's some element to that, but I think the bigger thing is, and what they've said, and this is what I agree with, is that you have to have a winning product on the court. I mean, if right. you're a 500 team, we've seen it with the Tigers here, the Red Wings. If you're a 500 team, you're not going to be selling out no matter what you do. And it's not about having a star. And again, it, to use the Tigers, they have Miguel Cabrera, who's probably one of the best hitters in the league and, and of our generation. Maybe. And him and Justin and Verlander. Yeah, and if you had both of those guys, this isn't about getting stars and getting fans to come because of the stars. This is a blue-collar town that is really more about, Do am I getting bang for my buck? Is this a good time to have? And the pricing is something new that you're going to have to – it's a challenge with a new arena that you're going to have to fight with. Yep. Hey, I, I'm, I'm, I want to bring my, my wife and two kids to this game, and I don't want it to cost 500 bucks because the tickets are 80 bucks a piece, parking is 40 bucks, yep. a couple of popcorns and hot dogs are going to be 20 bucks. 
So uh, when all of that stuff comes together, then I think that explains part of what you're dealing with. And the way that this arena is structured, the lower bowl is kind of their club seats. So a lot of these fans have access to the club level and the the free uh, drinks and food and everything else that's included with the price of their ticket. So now you have that other challenge of, are you going to sit in your seat through four quarters? Are you going to kind of network and schmooze with other folks in in the club level and not be in your seats? And then you might come around in the second or third quarter. You might wait until the fourth quarter when the game is good to come and sit down. It's a challenge in just the way this whole ticket pricing was structured and the club levels are structured. And you want to have all of those amenities for your your, uh, premium customers. But you also certainly don't want to have bright red seats that are just just highlighting the fact that you haven't sold out your arena at all and even even tonight it wasn't near a sellout there were probably more fans here than normal i think that that's the blake effect but until this team starts winning and getting back to where they were when they were 14 and 6 yeah there were more um fans that were in those seats you could see a lot less of that red but since the swoon that they've been on since early december you've seen a lot more of the red seats so i think it comes and goes but the the model is You've got to have a winning team, and they, Blake Griffin is part of that. It's just going to take a little bit longer for it to take hold. Well, and that's interesting about the club seats there. I, I didn't, it didn't occur to me to think that that might be the case. I didn't think that would be the case there. And I mean, I've seen that, you know, when I was in New York, being at Yankee games. I mean, a lot of these new stadiums now that that's how it's set up, where they they're these all inclusive seats where you get you can go back to these restaurants and have like you know, five course meals and like everything is great. Exactly. And, yeah. and it, it doesn't give you a lot of incentive to be in your seat when the game starts. And it is, like you said, it is, it is a fine line. These teams have to walk between wanting to try to keep their, their highest paying customers happy. And also not having it look like a national embarrassment when you turn out a game and there's nobody actually watching the game, which is what it's looked like a lot of the time when you turn on Pistons games throughout the year, even up to and including tonight. Yeah, and I think some of the attendance issue is, is actually true. There is an issue with that, um, but there's there's small numbers. There are a couple of different clubs in different sections of this lower level, uh, behind the seats and under the, the uh, that lower level that people are going to. And, and yeah, once you get a couple of drinks and you get a, some, some more d'oeuvres and some food, yeah, you're, you get comfortable and you're having a good conversation and you want to just be in that environment rather than being stuck in your seat. And when you have to go to the bathroom, you have to slide through 10 or 11 people to get out there. <laughs> right, you know? right. I mean, there, there are some logistical things there. But I mean, true, it, it, this is not a sellout. I'm, I'm not trying to tell anybody that, it, that this is a sellout or, or it's anything close to that. And those are challenges that they still have to work with. But I think the way that that thing is structured with that club level didn't do them any favors either. Oh, no, I, I think you're you're 100 percent right. I, and I, I didn't mean to think that you were like trying to make excuses for him either. But it is. Oh, no, it is. No, no, but no, it no, is. No, 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 no. Yeah. But it is something. But it is something to note. And it's something I didn't even know. And it is. That's something that that happens, you know, not just in Detroit, but but all over the place. And it is an interesting thing to kind of watch. But let, let's spin ahead real quick here for a few minutes before we bounce. Um, you, uh, you know, as you look at the Pistons now, obviously they've got they've got Drummond and uh, and Blake inside. And, you know, presumably, unless they find an upgrade for him, they're going to have Reggie at least for the next couple of years as their point guard. So um, obviously on the wings, that that is kind of the big thing they have to look for now, especially with the roster they've got with the two bigs inside. Um you know, I know Bullock and uh, Reggie Bullock and, and Stanley Johnson started tonight. Luke Kennard played a lot of minutes off the bench. Um, is, do you think there is at some point a chance that Kennard starts this year? Um, do they see him as a starter as soon as next year? Either way, and and as the Pistons move forward here, especially now that they don't have the first round pick, um, do you do you think this is all going to be about trying to find as many wing players as possible to try to balance out? 
that rotation and give them as much shooting as, as they can around Blake and and, uh, and Andre moving forward? Yeah, and that stands kind of – that's his mode, and that's what he goes to is kind of a, a one-in and four-out sort of thing and working around the pick-and-roll with Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond. But now you've got to change that with the addition of Blake. But they can do some very intriguing things. They can run four or five pick and rolls with, with Blake and Andre. They can run one four stuff and then have Dre kind of come and clean up the offensive rebounds. And we all know he's one of the best uh, in the business at that. But it, that the wing question still is an issue. And Stanley Johnson is, is starting to come around a little bit more. He had 12 points in the third quarter tonight and looks like he's starting to get his confidence and, and making some of those jump shots that just were clanging off the rim for him. I think he needs to play more, and you've really got to see what you've got there. If there is another valuable trade chip that you have, it would be Stanley Johnson to try to bring something else in. But I think Stan's going to give him every opportunity this season to solidify that spot and to get a different comfort level. I think he just got lost in the sauce with Avery Bradley and Tobias Harris. There were just so many different things going on, and he was very clearly the fifth offensive option and right. just stood in the corner on three-pointers. Now if you let him uh, live a little bit and he can he can get out and run and transition and handle the ball a little bit more, it adds some variety to your offense and makes him part of that too. It's the same idea that they did with Drummond in bringing him out on the perimeter. If he's, if he's handling the ball and he's part of that offense and getting his touches – he doesn't just get stagnant and he doesn't just sit down there in the block and, and do absolutely nothing and take bad shots for you. The same idea is going with Stanley Johnson. And I think with Reggie Bullock, it is he's far surpassed any expectations that they had. He was just a free agent sort of, hey, let's let's bring him back and he's going to give us some three-point shooting off of the bench. He's stepped into that starting role and been a godsend for them because he cuts. He knows how to play basketball. He's instinctive. He works off of everybody else. You don't have to call plays for him, but he will get buckets. He will find ways to get buckets that you, you just don't see in other ways. And so I think he's got a nice stranglehold on that spot. As long as he plays well and he's playing good defense, he's a plus for them. And it allows Luke Kennard to come along slowly and not have to rush. Defensively, he's still a little bit challenged, but it lets you get more comfortable. If, you, if you're not handling reserve wing players very well you're right. not going to come out and start and and get a, and get some of the better twos in the league that uh, you're not going to be able to cover uh and, and so i think that's even with avery bradley going out i think you can wait a little bit on luke Kennard, and you can just see what kind of comfort level he develops with that second group and then decide if he's ready to start one one and it, that, i think more what i meant was that if you ask stan right now right they would probably hope that their starting lineup next season is reggie and then Kennard and, yes, and Stanley yes, on the yes, wings, and yes, then yes. Blake and Blake and Andre, and yes. and so at that point, you know, I assume they're going to keep Bullock. He's on a pretty nice. I think it's a two and a half million non guaranteed contract for next year. Right now, I'm sure they'll keep him. He's he's a bargain as a rotation wing at that at that number. Um, and then you know, I, I imagine their goal between now and next season is probably to try to get another couple or three guys to to kind of fill out that wing rotation um, to go with. You know, they've got Ish and Reggie at the point. Uh, assuming Reggie gets back healthy, and then they've got you know Blake and and Andre and, and Eric Moreland has even been a nice piece for them. I mean that that's probably a decent uh, you know 
big rotation inside. You know, maybe throw Tolliver in with some minutes too. But it does seem like that wing spot in terms of you know make seeing if Kennard can eventually take that step. If Reggie, if Stanley could take a step forward, like you said, you know, the twenty six points against Cleveland the other night was a pretty big day for him too. Um, you know, if, if those two guys can take step forwards, all of a sudden they have a couple young guys who are playing better uh, to kind of surround those guys, and and it, they there's that that starts to look like the core of a team that that could be together for a minute. Yeah, it, it feels like that. And and with Luke Kennard, I think it's just they don't want to rush him out there and kill his confidence with playing against starting twos. Yeah. And defensively, he just gets shown up. So it gives them the, the patience to be able to say, hey, we can run Bullock out there. He's going to be productive for us on the offensive end. And that's where they struggled so much in the past probably month or so is uh, on that defensive end. And you don't want to put a guy who's not going to uh, be able to handle the, that that assignment that you're giving him every night. And again, Bullock is, is what, 6'7", and he's a little right. bit bulkier than Kennard. So again, you can bring Kennard off the bench and, and let him take that back up too, which is probably a little bit better suited to him right now. Yeah, no, totally. And I, I've been pretty impressed by him and the, the stuff that I've seen. I mean, people are going crazy that he's not Donovan Mitchell, and I, I understand that, but um, I, I think he's had a nice rookie year for them and has, has come in and been pretty solid. And I think that um, I think that long term with him, there there's a lot of reasons to be uh, pretty optimistic about his skill set and his fit in the way the league is going. Yeah, and, and a lot of folks want to second guess that and say, well, it should have been Donovan Mitchell. Well, if you look back at what the Pistons' biggest issue was last year, it was three point shooting. You got the best three point shooter in the draft who was shooting 44% in college. Oh, and he's shooting 44% or was a couple of weeks ago, last week, 44% from three in the NBA. Right. Yeah, you, you, you addressed a true need in that. And that's the, the two schools of thought. You take the best player available or you take the biggest need. And so I think they erred on the side of, hey, we, we, this is before they got Tolliver or Bullock or traded for Avery Bradley uh, in the draft. They decided, hey, this is the three point shooting is something that we really need. And he's a good playmaker. He might not have all of the athletic intangibles that Donovan Mitchell has. But for what we need, I think this is the safest decision that we can make. And I think that's where most people are criticizing you went that they went safe versus here's the high upside that Donovan Mitchell could have. Yeah, I mean, I also think that's pretty unfair, too. I mean, literally, literally nobody in the league thought this was coming. I mean, to, to think, you know, Donovan Mitchell had a really nice couple of years at Louisville. But I mean, and, and, and I'm not I'm obviously like the Pistons in retrospect would have loved to have them. But I guess all I was all I was saying is that I, I think that, you know, while they're, they have been slandered for that, like you said, I looked up his numbers now, he's shooting 42.6% from three. Um, and he has shown some ability to make some plays off the bounce. I think long-term, if he becomes a, a solid starter or better for them, you know, even if it isn't Donovan Mitchell, I, I don't look at him. Like, for instance, you know, they could have had Malik Monk, who has played, I think, like three minutes this year, it feels like. <laughs> uh, but seriously though, right? Like they, they could have, they could have, they, I mean, he was right in the mix. Like they were interested in all three of those guys. And like, if, if Monk is on the board, if they pick him and he is like not played at all, well, to me, that's a far different scenario than if you have a guy like this, who has at least shown you that he can give you some solid production already. And like you said, give you exactly what they need, particularly with the team they've got now. And there's no reason to think he's not going to continue growing from where he is now. Yeah, and, and that's a big thing here, though, and that's why I brought it up is because there's this very staunch Donovan Mitchell camp that said, oh, my God, they should have drafted him, but you didn't hear from them during draft time. <laughs> right. Hey, let's just, and, <laughs> right. and it's almost like 
a guy who gets married and then gets divorced and then he goes back and says, hey, everybody that I dated before this, that should have been the one that I stuck with. Well, you can do everything <laughs> in hindsight. It's sure. 2020. You, you can make all the right decisions if you know what the outcomes are going to be. So uh, it's it's become a big narrative here about why they drafted Kennard because he's a bust. And, and I think that's completely unfair that fans do that is say he's a bust because he Donovan Mitchell just happens to be having a, a rookie of the year caliber year in this first half. Let's let all the dust settle. Let's give it a year or two or maybe even three before we start making those sweeping indictments on what's a good pick and what's a bad pick. You want people to take time and think about stuff? Uh, no, no, no. We, we're not going to inject logic and, and time and, and space and all of this stuff. Let's just have hot takes all over the place. That's that's how they want us to do. That's right. Uh, well, let, let's wrap up then, not with a hot take, but just, just with a, a kind of a, a, a prediction on the future. So, I mean, look, the Pistons clearly wanted to make the playoffs and make in this trade. They're swinging for the fences. Um, I, I guess two things first. It seems like Reggie Jackson is still probably what, like a minimum of three weeks away? Is that probably charitable? I, I'd say maybe two. I, two? All right. Yeah, I, I, said, I, I said two, uh, two to three, and then I, I saw him outside of uh, at shoot-around today, and he was walking almost normally and so i think it's maybe a week or two before he's clear to do basketball activities again and then maybe another week or two after that so i'm guessing right after the all-star break is a fair uh, assessment of where he is on the timeline and it's just going to be how he feels and how right. that uh, ankle re- responds to uh increased activity and, and jumping around and doing all of that other stuff but uh, he said he feels good. He's been on the right timeline and, and hasn't had any setbacks. Just got out of the walking boot, I think, a week or two ago. So everything is, is going according to schedule. And that is the plan. It is, is Now we're seeing this adjustment with adding Blake Griffin to the mix. But it's going to be another win in a couple of weeks when Reggie Jackson comes back. And now you've got a very different point guard than Ish Smith, who's the stand-in right now. So if they can get on any kind of streak right now and then add Reggie to the mix, and it's fairly seamless – then I think we're talking about a team that can get into the playoffs and possibly be dangerous. If they can get to a, a six seed, do I do I like them against a, a three seed? Absolutely. I think they, they could they could make some noise if they really start putting it together and we see those chemistry things start to click for them. Yeah, no, and, and that and that was gonna be my final question for you, which is as you look at these guys right now, um, obviously they got away for Reggie to get back. They've struggled without him, though Blake is now their best passer. I I mean you, you mentioned the some of the four or five stuff. They did some intriguing stuff with the the four or five pick and roll tonight. Um you could tell there were some miscommunications in it. Um, but that you could definitely see the flashes of it there, and they have size that a lot of teams can't contend with now. So um, they are going to be an interesting matchup for people. But but as you as you look at um, where they're at and 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 what they have to do to get into the playoffs, what what is your your best guess as you sit as we sit here today? You know, after this first game with Blake, um, like where do you think they wind up win wise, and where do you think they wind up playoff wise? Win-wise, they're at 24 now. I think they can get to. I think they can get to low, low to mid 40s. I think is a is a reasonable enough thing, and they have a week and a half of the schedule than they did the first. I mean, they've they've already played Golden State both times. They played a lot of those top teams in the East and West um, multiple times already. They're going to be finished with Boston with with one more. So I think they've got to just gel and play well enough. They had a struggle tonight against Memphis, which is understandable given the, the roster issues but if they start to gel and, and we can see a lot more out of this Blake and, and Drummond thing and they just have solid play out of those perimeter guys I can see them getting to uh, let's say 44 45 
um, if they get on a nice run. But somewhere in the mid to low 40 or, or mid to low 40s, I think, is a reasonable expectation. And whatever seed that gets you in the East, if that's a six, then that, I think that's a good enough slot for them to, to slide into and, and possibly make some noise. There. Well, and, and this this upcoming stretch for me for them is pretty big, too. Like they got Miami and Portland, who um, obviously are going to be difficult games for them. But they, they play Brooklyn. They have the Clippers, ironically, in Detroit next week, which should yep. be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but they play Atlanta twice. They play New Orleans team that's reeling a bit. Um, you know, this stretch right before the All-Star break to me, you know, especially given they got to try to gain some ground. If they could go, you know, if they could get the, that Brooklyn game and both Atlanta games and then pick up a couple, you know, maybe one or two of those others um, and, you know, maybe either be at 500 or maybe no farther away than this two games under they're at now. Like you said, I think that does set them up to, you know, potentially take advantage of some of these soft games down the stretch. I mean, you look in the end of the season, they play the Knicks, then the Nets, then, you know, the Sixers, who at that point, you know, probably still are playing for something. But to play the Knicks, the Nets, the Ma- the, the the Mavericks, the Grizzlies, and the Bulls all in their last yep. seven games. Yep. Like, they, they, they play the Lakers late. They play the Bulls twice late. Like, eight out of their last ten games are very, very soft. So, they play the Raptors second to last game of the season who could have nothing to play for. So, I think you're right. As long as they can maintain uh, contact and, and be in the picture – they should be set up where they get to those last 10 games. They can make a sprint to the finish and, and get to where they need to be. Yeah, in addition, they've got a, a good chunk of games at home. They've got one game uh, next Sunday at Atlanta, but otherwise they're at home until the end of February. I mean, the All-Star break is in there too, but they've got a nice chunk of games where they're going to be playing right here at home uh, and getting comfortable. They, they have a long road trip. The West Coast road trip, I think, is six games in about 12 days. But again, you're talking about it's not the California West Coast trip. You got Phoenix in there. It's uh, Sacramento. Yeah, it's Utah, Denver, it's Portland, Portland, Sacramento, Phoenix, yep. Houston. Yeah. Yep. There you go. So there, there are some winnable games in there, and they've already beaten Houston this year. So, I mean, it, it's a team that's been so up and down that they could beat anybody, but they could also lose to anybody. But right. adding Blake gives them some swag that I don't think they had previously in this season. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Well, this, listen, man, this has been great. I appreciate the time. Uh, before you go, uh, let people know where they can find you on social media and stuff, and if you've got anything to plug coming up here. No, it, it's just at DET News, Rod Beard, Debt News, Rod Beard. Uh, on Twitter is the, the main way to reach me. And, and I've had some really good interactions with fans and appreciate any questions you have or anything like that. And just in, in general, just looking forward to the All-Star break. But that's the plug that I've got. Give me a couple of days here on the All-Star <laughs> break to uh, refresh and get ready for the last stretch. I think we're all ready for the All-Star break at this point. Thank God the trade deadline is before the All-Star break. So now we can actually have a break, which is uh, which is even better. So, uh, yeah, Rod, thanks for the time, man. I really appreciate it and look forward to catching up with you soon. Hey, anytime. Thanks, Tim. All right, thanks again to Rod for doing the podcast. I really appreciate it. Be sure to go follow him on Twitter and check out all of his work. He does a great job covering the Pistons, and as we just spent a bunch of time talking about, they're going to be one of the more interesting teams in the league to follow this year. As for me, you can find my work on Twitter at Tim Bontemps, on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA, and the pages of the Washington Post are on our website at washingtonpost.com slash sports. Please go find the podcast wherever you get it, whether it's Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, uh, TuneIn, Radio Public, Google Play. Give us a five-star rating and review. really helps us out a lot when you do that, so thanks in advance for doing so. 
please go find the music of Glenn Yoder in the Western States and support them. Uh, Glenn is the NBA at the Post, really good dude, good friend of mine, big NBA fan, and uh, also is the guy who, in his band, I should say, uh, are the ones who created the, the theme music for the podcast that everybody likes so much. So go support those guys and check all that out. Go check out our other podcasts from the Post, uh, Letters from War, Constitutional, Can You Do That? Uh, we have a ton of great stuff at the Post. There's going to be more coming in the future, so be sure to go check all of those out. Uh, once again, one final thank you to my man, Rod Beard. Appreciate him coming on and, and talking about the Pistons at, uh, late after the game. So thank you to him for that. Thank you, as always, to all of you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you again soon. 